Get your guns up, Red Raider Nation. Let's go. That's it. There's a new member of the Final Four Club, and they hail from Lubbock, Texas. Lubbock and leave it. Texas Tech can start packing for Omaha. Yo, what's good, Red Raider Nation? Welcome to the Nation's Official Podcast, episode number three. I am your host, TJ Kern, alongside my buddy, Red Raider, crazy fanatic, Blake Hartsfield. Blake, a lot going on in Red Raider land this week. We got basketball tipping off this week, tonight, as we record, November 7th. Um, depending on when you listen, they probably will have already played that game. But basketball season getting tipped off and football season in full swing. A lot for us to get into today. But first, man, how you doing? TJ, I'm doing well. Excited to, to talk about the Red Raider football team and um, really excited for the basketball team tipping off tonight. We have high expectations for that group and, and we'll get into them more as, as the year goes on. But I'm ready to dive into this football game from this past weekend. Lots to talk about there. Definitely a lot to talk about. The uh, the Horn Frogs pulled one out on us, Blake. I thought for a long time there we were gonna pull the upset, but uh, I know you were in the building and uh, you have a lot of thoughts on this game, as do I. This is going to be a a fun episode of the Nation's official podcast brought to you by the guys at the Nation. Why don't you go ahead and uh, take the reins and get us going? Thanks, TJ. Um, As you said, I was at the game. Me and my wife went. She's a a horned frog. And um, just kind of some general thoughts. We touched on it last week about this ticket business that TCU pulled and um, I don't know if you saw TJ after the game. Uh, Jeremiah Dante, I think is how you say it, tweeted out that they didn't see too many of their friends from Lubbock today. And no, you didn't. There was probably only, you know, 8,000 tech fans there. Mind you, their stadium only seats about 48,000 at full capacity. TJ, they're ranked in the top 10. They had Fox's version of game day there. And I sent you a picture that I think you sent out. They had, you know, 15% of the stadium empty. You know, it, there was maybe 40,000 fans there. And the, just the lengths that TCU went to to keep Red Raiders from from getting tickets to this game for, it, you know, it being the only game they don't put on for single game, single game sales. Uh, they don't do this for Oklahoma. They didn't do it for Oklahoma State. They only did it for Tech just because they were so terrified of, of Red Raider Nation taking over that stadium. It's just an embarrassing bad look for TCU. And to be proud of it, it's just kind of pathetic to, to me. But Getting into this game, there's a lot of things the Red Raiders didn't do well. That They stayed competitive for, for three quarters, actually had the lead going into the fourth. But I know we're not big officials guys, TJ, but I, I, I can't get into and, – and this isn't the reason that we lost the game. We lost the game for a lot of things that we're going to talk about. But that face mask call on Tyree Wilson early in the fourth quarter on the drive where we're ahead 17-3, to three, and that's the, the drive TCU ends up taking the lead – that was the most, maybe the most ridiculous call I've seen all year. Uh, he grabs him by the shoulder, pulls him down, and it goes from being third and 26, and you're likely getting the ball back with the lead, to first and 10 from the 45, um, and they drive in and score. Not to mention later in that drive, they get three additional penalties for first downs. 
TJ, that was four first downs via penalty on that drive. They called three penalties on both teams combined in the first three quarters. So that kind of felt a little bit like the, the Big 12 was protecting their playoff team in TCU. And um, then just stuff like that blatant pass interference on Miles Price's catch that got overturned in the second quarter. And it just felt like there was a little bit of home cooking for the Horn Frogs there. Yeah, watching it live, watching it from the television – you see the flag, you see um, Duggan's head jerk to the side. I immediately would, I, we're texting, which shouldn't be even happening if the stadium was full. Anybody that's been to a full sporting event knows how hard it is to get your, your service out. So just the fact that we were able to communicate shows you how empty that stadium was, first of all. Second off, it wasn't a face mask. It looked bad on TV. It probably looked bad at full speed to the official. But he definitely grabbed him by the shoulder pad. And even Warren Sapp, um, who Hall of Famer, University of Miami, Super Bowl champion, tweeted out the play and goes, this is a face mask? Yeah, it, like, it's, it was unacceptable. That that's just it, a call you can't miss. And 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 that was going to be a sack to put them in third and forever. Yeah, it, it, the situation, the timing, it it's an egregiously bad call, no doubt. Then, on the play in the end zone, it was like, all right, little little hand fighting, little tangling of the feet. It to me, it was a no call. But then it, the flag was thrown late, man. I mean, like that's that's always my thing with officials. If you're gonna make a call, make a call. Yeah, it, it, like I said, TJ, the officials weren't the the reason we lost the game. The, the tie recall was a, the tie recall definitely changed the momentum of the fourth quarter. Um, but we're about to get into a lot of things as to why the Red Raiders and, and I'm very frustrated uh, with with the performance from uh, Saturday. Well, you're frustrated. I'm frustrated. I think Red Raider Nation is getting frustrated. And let's start off with the good, which was Tim DeRuiter's defense. Talk about yeah. those guys for a little bit, specifically yeah. the monster that Tyree Wilson is. Absolutely. Tim DeRuiter just needs to keep up the good work. That defense continues to fight. They continue to keep this team in games much longer than the offense produces to keep them in the game. Tyree Wilson, I don't, I don't know how much more we can say about this guy, TJ. He is just a destructive force of nature on the defensive side of the football. He was in Max Duggan's grill all game long, making it uncomfortable for him. That's probably the worst game Duggan has played all game, and a lot of it has to do with Tyree Wilson's uh, disruptiveness. That guy is going to go on and be a star at the next level, TJ. I, I don't know how much else I can say about him other than he is just an absolute monster. Yeah, and Pierre on the other side looked uh, like a nice little compliment as well. I mean, he had a heck of a game. Yeah, no doubt. The pass rush was good. They stopped the run. TCU is a team that likes to, to pound it up the middle uh, to, to complement their, their passing game, and they, they really kept that under control. Uh, take away the seven points that, that, that TCU had from the kick return early in the game, TJ, and going into the fourth quarter, this team, this defense held TCU's high-powered offense to six points, two field goals. That was it. Yeah, I mean, it, and it felt like we had all the momentum. And that goes to show you, like, 
the the fact that that defense was so dominant yet and we had all the momentum yet the offense really hadn't done anything and we've gotten this far in the show on the nation's official podcast episode three without even mentioning the fact that your starting quarterback Baron Morton had to leave the game and did not come back and was seen wearing a walking boot and has already been ruled out for this week's game. And you had to see Tyler Shuck get his opportunity and Don, uh, sprinkle it in with a little bit of Donovan Smith. Blake, the offense was, it was more the same before Baron Morton took over. Yeah. This offense TJ is, is really struggling. I don't know if it's the scheme with Kitley. I don't know if it's just the fact that Shuck and, and Smith aren't good enough to run it. But, TJ, we've got a real problem with the offense on this team. When Baron Morton went out, the, the offense did absolutely nothing for the rest of the game. Tyler Shuck, I, I'm frankly, TJ, I don't know how he won the starting job uh, coming out of camp, out of the summer, coming into the year. He looked awful. He looked confused. He doesn't. He did. He looks afraid to get hit. He throws into double coverage. TJ. He goes nine of twenty-two for seventy-eight yards, a, a touchdown and a pick. And the touchdown was a garbage time touchdown at the end of the game. A twenty-eight point eight QBR, which is just just atrociously bad. Um, and, and we just the offense has no rhythm. TJ. No, not not a lot of rhythm. But I, I do have to applaud the way the game was being played and the game the way it was being called. It was, to their MO, very aggressive, okay, sticking to their guns, playing to win, as I call it. Yet, at the end of the game, that backfired. And I know I've listened to Joy McGuire since, but – he stuck to his guns with the analytics, Blake. And I know you and I have had a conversation off air about that, but at some point, at some point, some common sense has to kick in. And he even said that he second guessed himself late in that game and probably should have punted the football um, the, the first time with 10 minutes left. Yeah, TJ, I'm with you here. You know, I'm as big of an analytics guy as anybody. I'm a big Vegas guy. I love numbers. I love stats. And I understand the, the principles of analytics in football. I believe in them, right? The basics being, you know, if you're on the road and you're down by 14, you should go for two the first time you score. If you convert two-point conversions over 50%, because if you get the two and then the extra point on the second touchdown wins you the game. If you don't get it, you go for two, you tie, you go to overtime. I get once you cross the 50, if you've got anything fourth and four or shorter, you should go for it because of the distance. If you're out of field goal range because of how you know little distance or how, how little yardage you actually give up with a punt if it goes into the end zone for a touchback, I understand all of that. I understand going for it on, you know, fourth and one from your own 35 or 40, like we did in the Texas game. If you're clearly outgunned and outmanned and, and the other team is just more talented and you're trying to stay in the game. But to your point, some of the, the decisions to go for it on fourth down every time, particularly the two late in this TCU game, I just don't understand, especially when you've got a defense that is playing as well as they're playing when you go for it and you don't get it, it's it's one demoralizing for for the entire team, and two, you put your defense in a position that they can't be successful. And I just think, to your point, we need to have some sanity around this analytics stuff. I believe in it, but I think we've swung too far the other way here. 
I believe in it. I want to play to win. I, I I believe in that. I believe in going for it, being aggressive. At the same time, there is some level of okay. Our defense has played outstanding. Uh, were we up three or down three at the time? Uh, that was after TCU scored to take the lead twenty to seventeen. So we were down by three with the first one, where we went for it from like our own twenty-five, which. That's just – I'm sorry, TJ. That's just a stupid decision. It's just a bad yeah. decision. Now, is that the one where Donovan uh, tried yes, to go that, that's, on fourth that's and the, two? That's the, that's the fourth and two run to Donovan that everybody in the stadium saw coming. And, look, look we've talked about using Donovan in these these short yardage situations on third and fourth and short. And they and did great. And it works for the most part. But you've got to have a curveball, TJ. You cannot do the same thing every single time and expect it to work. And this is going to be a conversation we're about to get into around Kitley and some of the play calling being predictable. But yeah, that one was they go for it on fourth and two from like their own 25 and they don't get it. And from that point, the game just snowballs out of control and TCU ends up, you know, making it look a lot worse than the game was. Well, on that play specifically, that's the one I wanted to get into because I've listened to a lot of Joey McGuire post game and I listened to him today on Twitter and that was like an option play for Donovan Smith. And he had Taj Brooks wide open in the flat and he was supposed to hit him. And McGuire goes, I don't think anybody catches Taj Brooks if he catches that football. Um, but it's a, it's another missed read, another missed play. He had just gotten the last fourth down with his legs. Like if you're going to go for that, and you're gonna go as a runner. Don't don't do the whole we're gonna we're gonna fake and then go because that gave the defense time to collapse on him and he he wasn't even close. But if you have some kind of option, that goes back to your point on Donovan all year that he struggles making the reads he's supposed to make because if the read was look at the running back, the running back was wide open for the first out. And, and that might be, TJ, I've not gone back and watched the replay of the game. You don't see everything inside the stadium. I was watching, you know, the, the, the play at the, at the line of scrimmage. And, and I, when we came in, I said, this is going to be a Donovan run. And TCU was all over it. And they blew it up. On to the option stuff, kind of pivoting here a little bit. And this can get into the, the bigger conversation. What in the world was all of this speed option nonsense seven or eight different times on third and long in this game, including the one that got Baron Morton knocked out of the game. I was in a, in a, in a section that had a few other tech fans around us and all of us were kind of throwing our hands up going, what in the world are we doing? Like I didn't understand the speed option stuff at all. To the coach's point and what I was, um, what I've listened to since the game, it was all about, okay, we're going to try to do this to get ourselves into a manageable fourth down. Well, hell, half the time you didn't even do that. And you got your quarterback hurt, taking an unnecessary hit, and he couldn't come back in the game. Which brings us back to that analytics conversation of I think we're going for it too much. But, yeah, the speed option stuff on third and ten, just it, it's a horrible call, TJ. I don't get it at all. It, it, it has no chance of being successful. And, and you're giving away too many possessions. And then beyond that, my wife, and I love her to death, TJ, she doesn't really understand football. She, she knows the basics of it, but she doesn't understand a lot of the, the nuances and a lot of the X's and O's. And 
she looked at me about halfway through the third quarter and she goes, you guys are predictable on offense. And if my wife who doesn't follow the game of football, like you and I do, and like a lot of red Raider nation does can pick up on that. A lot of these, you know, paid professional coaches in the big 12 are probably going to pick up on some tendencies. TJ, this air raid doesn't look like an air raid. It seems like everything we run is either a run up the middle, a deep shot outside the numbers or a bubble screen to a receiver. There are none of the classic, you know, slants to get a, a guy in stride to, to run after the catch. There's none of the five yard stops that act as an extension of the running game. There's none of the shuffle pass to the running back through the blitz where you, you, you leave, you start the play and the running backs in there to block. And then he releases late and you do the little shuffle pass. Torian Henderson made that famous in this offense in the early days of the Mike Leach era. And we don't run any of that. No, I mean, there there's, I don't want to say Kitley's in over his head because that Kitley has forgotten more football than, sure. than I know. Sure. You know and what I'm a, saying? It's that, a big jump. It's a big jump coming from West Kentucky to the big 12. And I know he's learning on the job, but TJ, we're just predictable. Yeah. Well, and then a lot of that goes back to once again, not having the right guy in at quarterback. Once well, you got Barron, you, you, you got him hurt. 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 Yeah. Once Barron gets hurt. I mean, it's that game was over as soon as Barron got hurt. Now we didn't know it at the time, but man, TJ, you if, had no chance once Barron went down. Barron, and, 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 and that's another thing too. Like we've talked for weeks, weeks and weeks and weeks about Barron being the guy, and then I was even coming around to all right, if Shuck's healthy and if he's really this this dude, like all right. If we lose a couple games, maybe you can go go back to him to finish the season. I, I haven't seen anything. Baron Morton is this team's quarterback. He is this team's future. And you just lost him. And maybe your chance to get to a bowl game because he's not going to be able to play this next week. And we'll get to that in a minute about the quarterback play for, for this week. But one of the things I wanted to bring up is Blake, if I asked you to name playmakers for Texas Tech over the last decade, how many could you name? Oh, I could I could go on and on. How do I only get a decade or can I go back and start the Crabtree? Not from from Crabtree on. Crabtree, Eric Morris, uh Kiki Cutie, Jakeem Grant, Jason Morrow. Um, I'm sure I'm I'm not thinking Detron of a couple of Detron. No, yeah, Detron was on the team with with Crabtree, but that's just yeah. off the top of my yeah. head. At just a few names right there. I mean, Danny Amendola, Lyle Leong made a bunch of plays. Um, I mean, I like look this offense for years. You've you've had a dude, and when I say a dude, it's like okay, it's third and third and eight. Everybody in the stadium knows you're going to throw the ball to this dude and you're going to go get a first down. And this team doesn't seem to have that guy. And I say it with some hesitation because, Trey, yes, Trey Cleveland's made some plays. Xavier White's made some plays. But there's just not at any time, any crucial time in the ball game. Am I comfortable going, all right, I know where the ball's going and we're going to get this first down. 
It doesn't exist, TJ. It's supposed to be Miles Price, but that hasn't materialized for whatever reason. Um, none of these receivers all year, any of them have, have accumulated 500 yards receiving, which is in an air raid. It's just, you know, mind blowing TJ. If you ask me to name the biggest playmaker on the team, it's probably Sharadrick because he, he seems to make the most plays, but that's out of the running back position. There's well, him not- and Taj. Yeah. Him and Taj are there. And maybe that goes to another point about the offense. Maybe we need to run to, to run the ball more, run more screens, do something to put the ball in Taj and Sir Roderick's hands because those guys seem to make make plays. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, but two things need to happen for this offense to be successful going into next year, TJ. One, the offensive line play has got to improve. Rather, that's they go into the portal. Some of the guys that are going to come back get better over the offseason. Some of the recruits that McGuire brought in last year that are coming on campus can make an impact as freshmen. The offensive line has got to play better, one. And two, they've got to find a playmaker at receiver. I don't care if it's the portal. I don't care if it's an incoming freshman. they got to find those two things to help Baron Morton going into 2023. I completely agree. And you're listening to the nation's official podcast with TJ and Blake. This happens to be episode three. We're breaking down the Red Raiders loss to TCU last Saturday. Uh, a tough one because it's one that you thought you could win. Uh, you had won. a chance to win and you needed to win, Blake. And then now all of a sudden you don't have your starting quarterback going into the game this week against a very good Kansas team, even though they don't have their original starting quarterback. So let me pose this question to you now, knowing what you know, having seen what you've seen from early in the season when Donovan was the quarterback to what you saw from Tyler Shuck on Saturday, who do you start this Saturday against Kansas? And why? TJ, you're not going to believe who I'm going to say, but it's Donovan Smith, and I don't really think it's a conversation. Shuck just doesn't – what I saw in three quarters from Tyler Shuck on, on Saturday doesn't give me any confidence that he can win us a game the rest of the year. Donovan has his shortcomings. There's times where he looks lost. There's times where he can't make the read. But like we've talked about on our previous pod – once out of every three or four throws, he he makes a throw and you goes makes you go wow and he makes a play and he's certainly much more of a threat with his legs and and running the ball and if look if we're going to run more of these speed option nonsense that we were running against TCU, I'd rather have Donovan Smith running that than Tyler Shuck. One, he's not afraid to take a hit like Shuck, and two, he's just more athletic and and more mobile. But with all of Donovan's shortcomings and the turnovers, at least he's proven he can win you games. Um, and you have to win games. You've got to get two out of these last three, and and the Kansas game at home on Saturday is an absolute must-have if you want to make a bowl. So I think I I swallow hard and swallow swallow hard and and start Donovan. I'm and and the reason I bring that up is because I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's Donovan Smith. The team has seemed to rally around Donovan at times uh, early in the year. Uh, when things were looking bleak, he's brought you or brought you back in games. He's won you games, and he he has more experience lately 
than Tyler Shuck. He's got way more experience than Tyler Shuck. Tyler Shuck started eight games at Oregon before he got hurt. He started two games last year and got hurt, and he started a quarter this year and got hurt and then played three quarters against TCU and was awful. So Donovan's got way more experience here recently than Tyler Shuck. Yeah. And so, man, it's crazy because we sat here and we, we talked about Donovan for months. And I've and been, I've been a ringleader in that TJ admittedly. I've, I've criticized Donovan a lot around a lot of the things that he's mistakes that he's made, but, I trust him more than I trust Tyler Shuck to go win this game against Kansas. And I'm I'm completely with you. And we've talked a lot about this coaching staff, how well they've done, the culture, everything that Joey McGuire has done up until this point, even this analytics conversation or debate or whatever you want to call it, of playing to win, being aggressive, um, however you want to word it. Shoot, call it being dumb, being stupid, being, you know, being on fire, whatever, however you want to describe these decisions on offense to, to go for it and be aggressive and, and play to win football games. I'm all about it. But I've, I've stood my ground on this show and on our previous show that I think this team really needs to make a bowl game in Joey McGuire's first year to kind of keep some momentum going. I, with I agree Baron, with that. I agree with that, TJ, to a point. I will say that, you know, Matt Rule won one game his first year at Baylor and turned them into a really, really good team. Dave Arnotta won two games his first year at Baylor and has turned them around, won the, won the conference last year. So, while making a bowl game will certainly help with momentum, I, I think the the bigger takeaways from the season are the are the things that you talked about and the things that we've talked we've discussed at length here about the culture and about the defense and about the the competitiveness and and everything else. But yeah, making a bowl game would be good. It gets you for if nothing else, it gets you the extra thirty days of practice for, for that's, Baron. Yeah, that's, that's that's where I'm going. Yeah, it, give, it gives Baron Morton thirty more uh, you know thirty more days to practice. Uh, prepare for a bowl game, see how you stack up against a, a, a non-Big 12 opponent and play another football game because this team needs more games. Um, and that's why Saturday is so crucial now against Kansas. And before before we end on, on the football note, I, I don't know if we're going to have a debate on this if you're going to agree with me or if you're going to flat out just c completely think that I'm in the wrong here, Baron Morton has started a handful of games and he's gotten hurt multiple times. And now here we are and he's unavailable for the KU game. He's talented. He's your guy. He's your future. We both agree on that. Let's hope that this is a fluke. And that the kid does not become injury prone throughout his career. I remember being excited about Alan Bowman. Then he broke his clavicle twice and you never heard from him again. Yeah. Like I hear what you're ahead. saying, TJ. I do. I, I, I'm not ready to go to the injury prone label yet. He injured his ankle in the Oklahoma State game. He had the bye week. He came back. I, I don't think he was ever fully 100% and was playing through it. And then he re-injured the same ankle against TCU on 
what a lot of people on tech Twitter are calling a dirty play. We've talked about it a little bit off air. You don't, you think it was just football. I think there was a little bit of an alligator roll and they held onto the ankle a little bit longer than you probably needed to there. And, and I certainly don't think it's a coincidence that every quarterback that TCU has played all year, other than West Virginia's quarterback has been knocked out of the game at some point coincidences become trends and trends have, have underlying causes. Um, but yeah, I hear what you're saying about Morton. I hope that he's not injury prone and I'm not ready to go there yet. No. And I mean, I hope it's a fluke as well. I just, and it's been such a short sample size and here we are with a couple of injuries. I just feel like it needs to be brought up and we're going to bring it up. We're going to talk football. We're going to get even more football on the post-game show after the KU on the nation Twitter spaces with TJ and Blake, uh, keeping uh, a lookout for that. Set your alerts for at guns up nation and follow us on Twitter at the nation pod. And I'm at T E E J A Y K E R N Blake. Give them that Twitter handle. I'm at B Hartsfield 10 B H A R T S F I E L D one zero. So make sure you do that. Catch us on that that post-game show. And, Blake, before we get out of here, there's a little bit of Brett Yormark news that I'm kind of excited about, and that is we hear that he's talking to a basketball school. Care to explain to the listeners out there? Yeah, it came out over the weekend or late last week. I can't remember exactly when that – uh, the Big 12 has been in discussions for the last with the, for the last several weeks with Gonzaga to join as a basketball only member. And TJ, I love this. I mean, we've talked at length uh, about how good this league is in basketball. They are to the college basketball world what the SEC is to the college football world, and then some. The Big 12 is absolutely a gauntlet. It is murderer's row. You've got Houston coming in that's made multiple Final Fours. Obviously, Kansas, Baylor, Tech. Uh, and then there's no bad teams. Uh, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, K-State are all competitive and, and good programs. Cincinnati and BYU are going to be good. TJ, you add Gonzaga to, to this league, and, and you're looking at just another powerhouse coming in. Now, look, Gonzaga's good, and I'm not trying to put them down in any way, but if they come to the Big 12, and, and Bobby Huggins touched on it a little bit. He had a pretty good quote about this after this news broke. They come to the Big 12, and they ain't winning 30 games a year. Okay, they're not going to come in and be the 300 pound gorilla that they are in the West Coast Conference. They slot in certainly behind Kansas. I personally think Kansas is the best basketball program in the country, and I don't think it's particularly close. They'd slot in behind Kansas and they would compete with Houston Tech and Baylor for for second, third and fourth in the in the conference on a year in year out basis. They would be good, but they will not just roll over this conference like they roll over the West Coast Conference. I couldn't agree more with, with what you're saying. And they're going to be a good program. They're, they're a juggernaut in college basketball. But I'm sorry, you, you come to the Big 12, that easy uh, one line, that easy one seed every year, ain't happening, brother. You might be a, you might be a four seed or a six seed yeah, after it's Kansas. all said and done playing a Big 12 schedule. Yeah, they're not Kansas. Kansas – gets a ridiculous number of one seeds coming out of this conference over the last 15 years. But um, yeah, I think Gonzaga would be a great addition. It, it creates some sexy matchups. Obviously Kansas Gonzaga would be big Gonzaga Baylor, Gonzaga tech, 
uh, Gonzaga Houston. It, it just adds to the depth and the quality of this conference. I'm a big believer in that iron sharpens iron. And I think some of the reason or a lot of the reason that you see so many big 12 teams advancing to the sweet 16 and that were an overtime Texas tech loss away from having won three consecutive uh, national championships in college basketball is because of the depth and the, the competition within this conference, these teams are battle hardened. They're ready to go come March. They're tough. Mike Bray talked about it going into our round of 32 game against him last year, where he talked about the big, bad, big 12 going to bully him. Well, that's exactly what we did. And that's what the big 12 does to other leagues. It's a man's league. You don't see a lot of freshmen that come in and, and make a big impact because they're just, they're just not ready physically. And, and I'd love it. I think Gonzaga being added would be great for basketball only. And dare I say, what happens if Arizona joins the fray? You get Arizona and Gonzaga just, I mean, the Big 12 Conference Tournament, TJ, would be like an Elite Eight. It, it really would. Gonzaga, Arizona, Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, Houston. Like, that's an Elite Eight. I agree. Every matchup, every Big 12 matchup would be a must-see. I mean, yeah. even more so even, even more so than it is now. I don't, I don't think there'd be any more ESPN Plus coverage of Big 12 basketball. No. It, I mean, they, they're already with the new – media deal that we talked about last week, they're already going to be still on big Monday with ESPN and um, Fox is going to get some, some, some games on Saturdays, but yeah, every game would be just one of the better games. You're not going to find another league. That's going to put as many quality games out as the big 12 is going to put out. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And that is coming up in the future. Nothing's official there. It's just a fun little conversation to have between a couple of basketball uh, lovers, like me and Blake are. But basketball season is here. The calendar's turned in November. We're going to rally behind this coaching staff on the football team. And we're ready for Coach Mark Adams and this young basketball team. A lot of stuff going on here at the nation, at Guns Up Nation. And here on the nation's official podcast with TJ and Blake. Check us out next time on episode four. Blake, how do we always like to end the show? Wreck them. Wreck them. We'll talk to you guys soon.